Hello, Night Nation, and welcome back to another episode of the Nightcap Podcast. As your UCF Knights took on the Georgia Tech uh, Yellow Jackets today here in Orlando. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say it was the greatest game we've ever seen, but they did escape with a win, a 27-10 win. Uh, I'm usually here with my host, uh, Tony Cummings, but unfortunately he is out of the country, so this week we have a special guest. It's uh, Scott Mazarego. He uh, is usually the one at the end of our podcast who is doing our Nightcap, our Toast of the Nightcap. Uh, let me introduce you to Scott. How you doing, Scott? Ah, uh, I am frustrated, Sean. And before we go any further, please follow us on social media at UCF Nightcap. I don't blame you. I mean, it was a it was a slog of a game. I, I guess that's probably the best way to put it. Uh, I think that twenty-seven to ten final is very misleading. What do you think? I think that's generous to us. I don't think we deserve to win. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm glad we won. I'm I'm grateful for the win, but I. I don't think we won that game as much as Georgia Tech lost it. Absolutely. You know, we're going to get uh, into this game and, and talk about everything that happened and, you know, maybe some of the ways that uh, that the offense struggled a little bit uh, that made this game a little tougher than it needed to be. But before we do that, I mean, I think it is important to, like you said, put it into context. Uh, we are 3-1. and one. Um, You know, there's a lot of teams today that I think would uh, be very grateful if they could just have, have pulled it out against a team that um, they were expecting to beat. Uh, you know, we saw the uh, Miami Hurricanes go down to Middle Tennessee, Middle Tennessee State today. Uh, I'm sure they're feeling uh, not great. Uh, you know, we saw our, our little brother, USF, uh, really get smacked by Louisville today, 41-3. to So all things considered, I think that, uh, you know, we'll take a 27-10 to win. But, uh, you know, it really felt frustrating as we watched the game. You know, we saw another one of those offensive lulls that we keep seeing with this Malzahn offense. Uh, what did you see out there as we were kind of watching the game unfold? What I saw was a, a lack of trust in Plumlee. We trusted the rush, but where was our passing game? Because it wasn't on the field. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great point. I think that's a really fair thing to say, and I think that's probably what contributed in, in a large part to the slog. I mean, uh, you know, just let's go through JRP stats. I mean, uh, coming off that uh, American Athletic Conference Player of the Week uh, award that he got last week, I think we all expected a huge game. And um, unfortunately, I think he left us wanting a little bit. Uh, he was 8-16 of for 49 yards and one interception. Uh, he had a fumble that was very luckily recovered by Bowser. We'll get into that. Uh, but he did have 16 carries for 100 yards and a touchdown. He did lead us in rushing. But 49 yards passing in, in a game is, is usually not enough to get it done. No, 49 yards has never gotten it done. And I don't want to say this, but we didn't have the best quarterback on the field today. Like, there's no way to argue otherwise. Yeah, Jeff Sims had another great game. Um, you know, I think he was the main uh, focal point that uh, that Georgia Tech had that could actually, uh, you know, do something in this game. And he, he really didn't disappoint. I mean, his stats, you know, he, uh, he came out with 21 of 32 passing with 314 yards, a touchdown. 11 carries for 28 yards. I mean, he was their offense for the most part. Um, but, I mean, 314 yards, I mean, compared to 49 passing, it's you know, feels like a miracle that we won the game just off of that, let alone, I mean, 27 to 10. I mean, really crazy. Uh, kind of shows, number one, maybe some of the, the talent disadvantage Georgia Tech might have had in this game, but also how some of the other phases of our team really played in this game. You know where the real disparity was? Where? Our kicker. Colin <laughs> Boomer, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't believe we're we're saying that, right? I mean, we've been excited about him on this podcast, uh, you know, all year, uh, getting into the season. And I think, you know, there were a lot of calls from the fan base to get away from uh, Obarski after his performance in the first two games. But Colton Boomer, perfect on field goals. And today he was four for four. 
you know, you started at the top talking about gratitude and being grateful. Like, we should be grateful for the win. I am grateful for our special teams and our defense because they carried us. Colton Boomer carried us. He had a great game. And, you know, I got to say, his uh, when he when he actually lines up to kick, you know, when he kicks, he's so smooth. There, There's no question, right? You know how sometimes you watch a kicker and it's like kind of an adventure, you know? Okay, it might like hook back into the middle or, or it's going to sneak right in, right towards the end. You never really know until the end if it's going to be in. Nah, he seemed to drill it every single time. Yeah, he just struts right on, confident. Like there's nothing like pale or milk toast about him. He's just, he's there to do his job. He understands it. And so far, he's done it. And if you think about where we'd be in this game, I mean, he was 4-for-4 four four on field goals and also 2-for-2 two two with extra points. So uh, out of our 27 points, that's uh, that's 14 that is attributed <laughs> to Colton Boomer. Okay, so, so I mean, when you really want to put it into perspective there, okay, uh, he, he is probably our most important player in this particular game, especially not even talking about how many points he scored. When you look at the disparity that we saw um, between how Georgia Tech's drives ultimately ended, uh, you know, we'll get into the play the defense as well because they deserve a huge shout out for how they were able to to play. But given how we performed, by we were able to get those field goals right. Um, Georgia Tech every time they got into the red zone, they got into the red zone five times. That's inside the twenty yard line uh, on in UCF territory. They ended up finishing zero for five in the red zone, so zero points out of five different red zone trips. I mean, that is just completely insane. Um, and to me is probably the biggest story of what happened in this game. Oh, before we get into that, though, can we just address each team's opening drive real quick? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great microcosm of what happened in this game. <laughs> I think you're right. But what did you what did you see in that? Oh, I was so excited for UCS opening drive. I mean, 20 plays, 71 yards, 9 minutes and 47 seconds possession. Three points. You know, I got to say, <laughs> you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the old George O'Leary offense, which, funny enough, he was at this game, okay? So remember, right, George O'Leary, he used to coach at Georgia Tech uh, prior to coming to UCF. So he has ties there. We have a lot of ties with Georgia Tech, whether it be Todd Stansberry, the athletic director from uh, from the uh, 2010s that ended up moving to Georgia Tech. Brent Key, their offensive coordinator, uh, was a big assistant under George O'Leary. And same for Jeff Collins, their head coach. So a lot of connections. George O'Leary comes back. He's uh, an honorary captain, uh, flips the coin. And uh, I think he, he'd he be super proud of the way that first drive went for UCF. But then on the flip side, I mean, obviously, I, I, uh, we saw how, how Georgia Tech responded. Yeah, Georgia Tech comes on the field, eight plays, 51 yards, three minutes. You know what the difference in each opening drive was? Hmm. Our kicker. We had the better kicker. They had the better opening drive. Like, we we played bully football on that opening drive. We forced them down the field slowly. We made them watch just for a field goal. Mm-hmm. They rush down the field. They go right past our D. They miss. So, thank you, Colton Boomer. That's the only redeeming quality <laughs> that we had on our opening drive. For sure. And, and you know, when you really about that i mean it, it's it's it was it was crazy i mean and you, you know you're frustrated you're hoping that after that things will get a little better um you know but i think it was that was kind of how i would describe the whole rest of the game it was a slog it was tough for us to get yards it was tough for us to sustain drives 
Um, you know, we weren't really able to give ourselves a ton of opportunities to get to the end zone. We were not, we weren't getting explosive plays, but we were watching a Georgia Tech offense that minus some miscues and minus some uh, some some problems they were having in the red zone could could move the ball um, and move it efficiently. Um, you know, I think we, we noticed they were actually able to, to operate the no huddle pretty well at, at certain points of the game. No, absolutely. I, I At times I was watching thinking they are executing a Gus Malzahn no huddle hurry up offense better than Gus Malzahn. Shouldn't happen. It, it shouldn't. And, you know, I think uh, it's fair for us to really talk about what I personally think is, is part of the issue. Um, you know, I, I think – we're watching what a Gus Malzahn limited offense looks like, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of what we saw last year. Um, you know, it's clear that Gus wants his offense to run through the quarterback, right? He, you know, obviously the run game and, and some of the, the schemes he's drawn up are there to assist the quarterback, but at the end of the day, he's expecting that quarterback to run the offense. I mean, Plumlee's our leading rusher. I don't think that would change if, uh, and that's from, in this game, both from a yardage perspective and from a carries perspective. Um, you know, he, he's up there in terms of carries and, uh, if he's going to be the focal point, you really need somebody that can be consistent about the run in the past. Last year, Keen was a little bit more consistent maybe in the past, but not the run. And now we're watching JRP more consistent in, in the run than the past. I mean, we still, I think a Mal's on offense with consistency at the quarterback position in both the run and the past would be lethal. I just don't know if we have that right now. And I think it's, it's showing, it's showing in his play calling. I agree. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, scream the sky is falling. Like, we, we've talked about that. Because previous, you know, to this game, Plumlee was averaging, what, uh, 259 yards passing a game? But 49 against, what? what is it, the 101st ranked defense? What gives? Yeah, I, I, it's... I don't have a good answer. It was very reminiscent of the of the Louisville game, but almost on a, on a worse perspective. But... That, that's what I'm saying about the play calling. Uh, just to, to throw another, you know, what I thought was a really crazy stat is, you know, JRP, he finished 8 of 16 for 49 yards, but the first half he was 5 of 11 for 41 yards. And so when you really put that into context, okay, that means that he he had five pass attempts in the entire second half. He went 3 of 5 for a total of 8 yards. That's it. Ugh. So 3 of 5 for 8 yards passing in the second half, I mean – we had, uh, you know, a significant amount more rushing attempts. I mean, 56 rushing attempts in this game to a grand total of 17 pass attempts. And remember, one of those pass attempts was a Ryan O'Keefe uh, reverse pass. So when you really think about it, I mean, we were not putting him in dropback passing situations. And I think rightfully so. But when we play a better team, I mean, that, that could be an issue. Well, and, and the one exception is that pass to Kobe Hudson. <laughs> Kobe, where you've been for the last three games? You show up, you got a chance, you're in front of your defender, and you miss it. How crazy? I mean, yeah, I think we've been saying that. I mean, obviously in our in, in this podcast, and as we watch these games, we talked about where's Kobe Hudson been. Um, you know, he was finally going to get the chance to dress today, and he was actually out there a lot. I mean, I noticed him on the field. Um, but again, I mean, I, it was it was hard to judge him too much until the end of the game because, I mean, again, we were not passing the ball almost at all with any success. Um, but that it was amazing. Where was that that pass the whole game and drops it right into into his hands and he drops it. But we also saw you know Baker had some drops. We had O'Keefe with some drops. Uh, you know it was 
you know, the passing game as a whole, receivers, tight ends, running backs, quarterback, uh, all of them are, are leaving us wanting a little bit. And, um, you know, I think, you know, later we'll get into the next week's game. We're going against one of our better passing, one of the better passing offenses that we have on our schedule. So this is a little bit alarming. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that he can come out and, and get a little bit more consistent uh, in the passing game. I, I don't know. Because um, we'll need those offensive weapons. Mm-hmm. Like You can't have too many good wide receivers. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you, when, when we can get the ball to gamble, he looks like a like he's a lot to handle. He looks like a guy who can really stretch the uh, stretch the defense a little bit from the tight end position. We can't get him the ball. I, I don't really understand it. I mean, we ran a great play for that two point conversion. He got the ball for that, uh, you know, on um, off of Plumlee's rushing touchdown. But uh, you know, I would love to see him get more opportunities. I would love to see uh, you know Kobe Hudson get some opportunities. Javon Baker is really good, but even in this game, he only had one catch for six yards. Um, I'm sorry, but with the wide receiver talent we have, it's we we need to see more. Oh no, absolutely! And you didn't even mention Townsend in that. Yeah, Townsend didn't even seem to get a lot of time on offense. So I think it's pretty clear that you know with Kobe Hudson out, Townsend was probably the replacement there. So um, it'll be interesting to see because I think we missed a little bit of what he provides in this game. Um, you know, and if it's something that Kobe Hudson isn't going to be able to provide, maybe we start seeing Townsend spell him a little bit more from an offensive perspective. But the passing game's got to be a huge priority moving forward, or we're going to have a tough time in conference play. For sure, for sure. But, I mean, the rushing offense was pretty good. Um, oh, I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just to go down a few names, uh, Isaiah Bowser had a big bounce-back game, I think, um, compared to what he had done last week, I think. Getting off of that FAU performance, uh, we talked about, you know, were we seeing him, uh, you know, lose a step a little bit. But I think he came back in this game and was a very, he played a very pivotal role, 19 carries, 70 yards. Um, he also led us in receiving yards, which I don't think is saying a ton. Um, you know, he had one reception for 22 yards, but again, you know, almost 100 scrimmage yards. He, he played really well. Johnny Richardson, um, I think, again, he, he, he didn't have the greatest game, but again, we had, I think we had a tough time getting in the ball too. Seven carries, 33 yards. R.J. Harvey came in at the end of the game and looked pretty impressive with 12 carries, 73 yards. Um, you know, anything stand out to you about the way we can run the ball and, and, and what you're seeing there? Well, I, I don't think anyone's really surprised that we can run the ball. Like, going into this game, the American had us ranked fourth in rushing, averaging 273 yards. What did we do this game? 284. So that is exactly us to a T. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And, you know, I think it's clear that we're going to be able to run the ball when we need to. Um, I think we missed the explosives a little bit from a, from a rushing offense. And, um, you know, Plumlee, he had his two more explosive runs toward the end of the game. 28 yards was the touchdown. The next drive, he had a 17-yard run. So 45 of his 100 were accounted on those two runs. So we could so maybe once we wore the defense down a little bit. But, again, it goes back to needing those – those passing plays earlier in the game to kind of allow that run game to kind of get going because it was clear Georgia Tech was just going to fill the box and, and you know, there's a couple drives that it looked pretty, uh, you know, like we were just stalling, you know, run up the middle, run up the middle, run up the middle, punt kind of a thing. I'm grateful that we, we did so well with the rushing game, but they're to a better defense. If we follow this game plan, they're just going to, they're going to put the cork in the bottle and that's going to be it. 
we're not going to do as well as we did today. This grind where you know we just do the same thing over and over and over and don't have that passing game to rely on, to fall back on, it's a simple offense that better defenses will put a stop to. 100%. And if we're getting to be that predictable, I mean, really, we, we need to be able to stretch the defense. They need to be able to spread out. Uh, you know, we were trying a little bit. But, again, I think, you know, I wonder if that interception, um, you know, was, was you know, made Malzahn second-guess some of those deeper plays later in the game because that was a bad decision and, and really not even a great throw. I mean, he overthrew him. That, that safety back there was just sitting there like he was catching a punt. It might as well have been to him. Yeah. Yeah. And so th- those kinds of things are not going to be – uh, are not going to look super great uh, as we move forward. So hopefully he can get those things cleaned up. Um, you know, but on another note, uh, you know, the other two uh, parts of our team, uh, the other two phases, our defense and our special teams, I, I think they came came to play today. Oh, man. Yeah. Brash? Mm-hmm. Oh, Trayvon Morris Brash was a monster Ooh. today. He was a monster today. Um, you know, he was all over the field. Uh, I, I I think we were, we were listening to him get uh, – Get a ton of praise throughout the entire game. Um, you know, he had, he had quite the stat line that he finished with. He had three total tackles. He had uh, a sack. He had a one and a half tackles for loss. He ended up with two. Uh, he, he ended up with I think two fumble recoveries. Right. Mm-hmm. He had two of them. Yeah. And obviously the one of them didn't go uh, how we would hope. He, he <laughs> returned it ninety yards, um, only to have it stripped at the goal line uh, for a touchback for Georgia Tech. So, uh, you know, almost like an 80-yard loss for them on the play, but could have been a touchdown. It, it could have been a touchdown. But considering the fact that Georgia was within the 10, Georgia Tech was within the 10 yards, they were in the red zone, they should have scored. A better offense would have scored. I will take them from the 20. Like, Morris Brash cost them 70-plus yards. I'll take it. I'm not going to complain with, with the game he had. For sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it was a very unfortunate play. I think, you know, looking at it, uh, I think it could be a teaching moment either for, for him or even uh, Devon Wilson a little bit. You saw the two of them against that last Georgia Tech defender. I don't know if they saw him come in or what, but what a hustle play by him. Um, but, but you know, maybe a little bit more awareness from some of our Knights. Credit to, to the defender, but uh, to the guy who caught him. But honestly, I couldn't tell if those guys were gassed or just really feeling themselves in that moment. Uh, you know, it made the game, you know, even think, think about that. I mean, at that point in the game, I mean, you know, that, that puts us up by two touchdowns and, you know, I mean, for Georgia Tech, it kept him around. And, I mean, it, it would have made this score look even worse than it did. Again, th- think about how we're talking about this game. You know, it almost feels like we're talking about a loss. But, um, you know, we won by, you know, 17 points. To a conference team, to any, most of the teams on our schedule going forward, this was a loss. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see see the effects of it. But, uh but I really can't say enough about this Travis Williams defense and, and how they fly around. They they do a great job slowing the run down. Um, you know, they're able to really, uh, you know, in this game, only 138 yards uh, rushing uh, on 31 attempts. Uh, so they really bottled up the run, especially Jeff Sims. I mean, you know, he is running quarterback, and it's clear they wanted to get him running, um, you know, early in the game. Uh, he had a long of 17 yards, but only finished with 38 yards on 11 carries. So, I mean, that's great considering what he can do on the ground. Um, so good performance from everyone. Uh, you know, another guy I really want to call out. You know, we talked about our special teams being a, a really good, uh, uh, a really good piece in this game, and, and he's a part of that. But he also had two tackles for loss himself. as Quadric Bullard. I mean, what a great player he's turned out to be, uh, and he gets a second uh, punt return uh, or punt block touchdown of the year. Uh, and we're only four games in. One a year is worth celebrating. Two. Oh. 
That that was a big momentum change in this game because I mean I I know you know when we were watching this game at that point in time they're punting it back to us with 50 seconds left we're hoping maybe we can get something it's seven to six Georgia Tech at that point and you know I remember before this game I mean UCF was favored by 21 points coming into this game so the fact that Georgia Tech was winning going into halftime or what could have been winning was uh you know tough to swallow so and that that touchdown changed the momentum Every time the offense gave us a reason to pause and like hold our breath, the defense came along just and soothed it right out. Mm-hmm. I mean, between Bullard and Brash, oh, we didn't mention the Morris Brash's uh, big stop on the in the third. Well, it was fourth and three. Oh yeah, like, yeah. They they completely established momentum for us and killed Georgia Tech's. A hundred percent. I mean, that there was we had four sacks in the game. I mean, with a mobile quarterback, I mean, we were doing a great job of keeping him in the pocket, uh, you know, forcing him to step up. Josh Seliscar with another great game. Um, you know, this D-line has a lot of contributors that are, are really showing through. Ricky Barber had another sack. So, I mean, you think about Barber, you think about Morris Brash looking the way that he did. It's kind of what we hoped, right? The best case scenario for this defensive line was that those guys all came to play every week and, you know, were able to make the splash plays that they're making, you know, tackles for lost sacks, fumble recoveries. They are wreaking havoc in the back end. And so it really frees up our linebackers, our secondary. You know, they can mix up coverages. They can blitz. They can do a whole bunch of different things because that D-line's playing so well. So, I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's great to watch. To me, it, it's the best defense we've had since uh since George Leary. Um, you know, that was a staple of his, you know, to call it back to him, him being at the game today. Uh his staple was always run the ball, play great defense. Um, you know, last few years we've gotten to to these high octane offenses. It's kind of refreshing to know that when we need to stop, we've got a defense that can make it. You know, I think it'd be really easy for someone to say like Georgia Tech was just incompetent, 0 and five in the red zone, two missed field goals, two fourth downs just blown, we went for it and a fumble. Nah, nah, that was our defense doing its job really well. Definitely. And, you know, it just, I'm really wondering how this whole season is going to play out coming from here. Right? And I think it's a good time for some, some reflection on that as we, as we leave our, our, our non-conference. Um, you know what I mean? No, I, I do, because the expectations going into this game, you know, we've got Plumlee, AAC Player of the Week. You know, we had uh, 653 yards of total offense against FAU, fifth most by an FA, FBS team in a single game, and we come in and do this? Yeah, I think I think the big thing is you expect against a good team. Uh, when, when you're playing a team that you come in expecting that it's going to be a dogfight, you know, you, you take the good with the bad. And when you come in in a game where you expect to, you know, impose your will against that opponent and you don't see it happening, you start to wonder why, right? And I think for us, we're in a situation where uh, I don't think Gus has had the opportunity to fully build what he needs. And I think the shift from Hypel's offense, Hypel's build to Gus's build, not saying one is better than the other, but just overall they're different enough. Um, we've seen players transfer out. We've seen ourselves get new transfers in. Uh, maybe some transfers with some limits. JRP, as great as he is, I think he's a great football player, but I think he's limited a little bit, you know? And um, it just makes me wonder, you know, uh, if he can't keep consistency, what do we what do we do the rest of the year? You know, is he is he the guy right now? I think I think that's still a question. Yeah, for the rest of the season, are we going to be trying on different quarterbacks, see which one fits? Because you got to have that trust. And it seemed really obvious today that, that, that it's not there. For sure. And that, that, to me, is the biggest thing. You just said it. Trust. It's 
it's fine if he's going to have some bad games. It's fine if he's going to have, you know, some bad throws and some growing pains. He tries to build consistency after not playing quarterback last year. Uh, you know, he was a wide receiver for the last two years at Ole Miss. And, um, you know, for him to come in, I, he, Gus says, you know, we expect him to take some time to build that consistency. But it can't affect the play calling and cover play. It really can't. If it's getting to a point where you have to play too conservatively uh, against good teams, we're going to get blown out in some of these big games. And maybe I'm crazy for thinking it, but you know, coming off the week Plumlee had, coming off the accolades, going into this game, I feel like he maybe should have had Mazan's trust. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really interesting way of putting it, and I think it was pretty clear as we watched this game that uh, you know there wasn't the trust in the passing game. I mean, I don't know how in a in a game where you know you go into the half at with a score of thirteen to seven, uh, you come out and you attempt five total passes in the second half, and then say that there's tons of trust there. I mean, you just can't. I'm sorry, but you can't say that. I mean, he he did not. I think it was clear that after the first half that the passing game just wasn't there and and, and Gus was happy to sit on the ball and run the ball until uh, he was forced to do otherwise, and he never was. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how that evolves over the next couple of weeks. I mean, we need a consistent passer. What I said on the podcast previously is, I think, still true, that you know what? What determines a good offense, uh, going from a good offense to a great offense, is being able to, uh, you know, when it's a pure passing down, third down, you know, seven yards plus, uh, you know, defense knows you got to pass the ball, you got to stretch the field, or else you're not, you're not going to keep playing. And um, you know, do we have the trust to put Plumlee back there and make the throws? Can he do it consistently? Um, you know, he's had two games where he did it, and he's had two games where he really couldn't, and this one he definitely didn't. So. You know, teams have seen it. There's a lot of film on him now, and so it's going to be really interesting to see uh, can he get better at passing quicker than teams shut down the types of plays that he likes, the rollouts, the uh, you know the quick the quick decisions um, that he can make. Uh, they're going to force him to stay in the pocket a lot, like we did with Jeff Sims today. Um, you know, we had a great game plan, and the commentators did a great job on ESPN talking about this. That you know the the defensive line was doing what they could to kind of keep him in the pocket. They were forming a little almost bubble around him, you know, with uh, the, they weren't going to rush as fast as they maybe might have in the past, just kind of almost forming this outside rings. And it's like, okay, look, if you're going to step up and you're going to end up here with this where we're leaving you some space, you're going to have to make a throw, but we're not going to let you out of the pocket because that's where you have options. It's where you can beat us to the edge, get first downs. So, I mean, um, that's what teams are going to want to do to John Rice Plum Lee. To Jeff Sims' credit, he made the throws, and to Plumlee's, he he did not, and so that that's what we need to see moving forward. Um, but I think you know that's a great segue into our game next week. Um, you know, we we played a team that wasn't able to convert in the red zone, a team that was not a high octane offense by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so we were able to play conservatively in the second half and, and pull away and win the game. I don't know if that's going to happen next week against SMU. Um, you know, we've previously, uh, in our schedule breakdown, uh, this was the loss that Tony and I had uh, predicted against SMU. So we've got a tough game coming up. Um, you a little worried about it? After today? Yeah. I want to see Plumley as confident in the pocket as he is rushing. And if he plays anything like he did today, forget about it. Yeah, I think, you know, just to put a 
to, to really give some perspective and some additional context on what we're talking about here, uh, you know, SMU, uh, they're two and two coming into the into the game, but their two losses are to two uh, solid Power Five programs. They lost to Maryland, thirty four twenty seven, um, and then they lost today to their former coach, which I'm sure did not feel great. Uh, Sonny Dykes was their coach for a little while, um, and he accepted the job at TCU over the summer. Was replaced by Rhett Lashley, who uh, interestingly interestingly enough is uh, considers Gus Malzahn his mentor. Um, but so they're two and two. Uh, with their losses to two Power 5 teams. But they have a really, really good offense. I mean, they're averaging more than 40 points a game, and it's all really because of their passing game, their quarterback. So all the things we just said about Plum Lee and about our passing game being an issue, we're about to go against one of the best passing offenses we're going to face this season. Uh, and Tanner Mordecai, the quarterback for SMU, um, you know, right now he's averaging uh, 346 yards a game. Uh, with almost a 60% completion percentage, 12 touchdowns. Um, you know, in this last game against TCU, he was 27 of 49, 372, and two touchdowns and two interceptions. Um, you know, do we feel confident that Plum Lee can get into a quarterback duel with a guy like that? I think our confidence is a better place than our defense can go into this game. Like, I'll take our 19th ranked defense against this team versus our offense at this point. Yeah, that's you know a, gr- a great point. That's a really great point because um, it's gonna. I think that's gonna be the big key to the game um, because we have not shown from an offensive perspective that we can enter a track meet with anybody. Um, you know, I think UCF fans in general are used to those. We we had a lot of games where you know those scores get up into the forties. I do not have confidence that we can trade touchdowns with an SMU offense. Um, you know, that's predicated on the pass. Uh, you know we're gonna need to slow this game down and have a good have a, a good rushing attack. That drive at the beginning of the game uh, against Georgia Tech was not a problem, except for the fact that we only got three points. If we have drives like that and we're getting touchdowns on consecutive drives against SMU, that might be the perfect recipe for a high octane offense with a quarterback like that. But I don't know. It's those third downs. Um, you know, uh, based on what you saw from the secondary today, though, uh, you know how are you feeling. Uh, you had to put it like that. How, how do I feel going into next week's game with the secondary? Going into this game against Georgia Tech, Jeff Sims was averaging 141 passing yards. Our secondary let him get to 314 yards and a touchdown. So no, that, that, that doesn't really inspire confidence. Again, if I had to put our confidence anywhere, it's in our defense. Like, they carried us tonight. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point i mean i think you know our secondary probably had some issues i mean obviously uh you know the 59 yard touchdown was not great um you know and there were some some just drives that it felt like he could he was just slinging it right down the middle of the field and there wasn't much we could do about it um it's going to really come down to that pass rush that we talked about how relentless they were in this particular game um Tremont morris brash has not been uh, a disappointment at all this year he's been great uh, Josh Seliscar has been really good. Ricky Barber has been getting in the mix. Uh, Lee Hunter had a sack last week. So, I mean, it's it, to me, it's going to be that. It's going to be that, mixing the D-line with, uh, you know, some, some exotic blitzes and really making Tanner Mordecai um, uncomfortable. Because if he's not uncomfortable, uh, you know, Jeff Sims just proved that you can, you can make moves on our secondary. Uh, Mordecai is going to be more than happy to do the same. Again, last year we had, we did not have any success against this SMU team. Um, it was one of our four losses, so it is revenge season against this SMU team. 
we're hoping we can come out of it on top here. But it's going to be a, a hard-fought offensive game. Um, SMU's defense is not considered one of the better defenses we will face, so hopefully uh, we can see our offense get a little bit back on track. But again, uh, their offense was ranked, or their defense is ranked higher than Georgia Tech's. So, yeah, by 27 places. Yeah, so I mean... You know, hope, we were hoping maybe Georgia Tech we'd see something like that. So they've got their work cut out for them this week. Um, but luckily, we do have that game at home. Uh, you know, really favorable early schedule, obviously. Um, you know, we had uh, – we that, that'll be game four at home already out of five uh, open the season. So really favorable start to the season to get this one at home. Um, you know, uh, right after the game, uh, their coach, Rhett Lashley, was getting interviewed about this game coming up next week. Uh, it's a huge game for both teams, given that it's both teams' first – conference game and it's going to be one of the toughest conference games that both teams end up playing um you know smu's uh, coach rhett lashley was very complimentary about ucf saying it's without question the most difficult place to play in our league uh, they might be the most talented team in our league um i i think i think that's got to feel good too um knowing that coming into the bounce house uh the reputation that it's getting i think the crowd was great today as well um we'll, we'll hope to see the same thing next week i think we're going to need it going against a team like smu I think going against a team like SMU, we can definitely count on it. Like Knights will show up for this. Yeah, and I think one thing that's really exciting too about this game, uh, you know, you watch the fan base. Obviously, you know, when you play South Carolina State, uh, you know, we win that game by a lot. But there's qualifiers, right? FCS team, okay, fine. Uh, you know, you go against Louisville, we lose. We should have probably won, but you know, are we seeing the real UCF in this particular game early in the season? Go to FAU, even Georgia Tech. It's kind of like. You qualify everything we're doing. We're winning, but are we winning by enough? Are we, you know, I'll tell you this. There's going to be no qualifying this game against SMU. We win by one point. We're ecstatic, no matter what. 100%. I mean, this, this is the, this is the springboard through our conference schedule. Um, I, I firmly believe that if we can take SMU at home, um, we should be able to beat every other team on our schedule if we can play that way. Under any set of circumstances, a win against SMU comes without complaint. I, I, I think the complaints that you and I have here today come from the expectations we had going into this game, which it should have just been a thrashing. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, like we said, it, it speaks to the depth and the talent that we have here, um, you know, that we're complaining about a Power 5 win. Um, you know, I think going back to, my, you know, my time as a, as a UCF student and, and even, you know, thinking back to the 90s it's you know anytime you get an opportunity to play a power five opponent you, you hope to just win you know hope to be respectable hope to not embarrass yourself um and for us to to win this game 27 to 10 and feel the way that we do um i think just shows the progress the program is making um but make no mistake um you know we're coming into the heart of our schedule here we've got some big games coming up and and it's really going to show uh, really, these are the games that are going to determine how we feel about this season, how we look back at it. Uh, this is a big one, a really big one. Um, all right, well, so for anybody, uh, for all you UCF Knights fans out there, uh, the SMU game is this Saturday, October 1st, coming up uh, at 3.30 p.m. So uh, please uh, come out, be loud, be proud. Uh, you know, give this, uh, this Knights team the uh, great home field advantage that we always do. And uh, hopefully we can come out and start our conference play strong uh, with a win against the SMU Mustangs. And uh, thank you, Scott, for uh, filling in for Tony. Uh, it's been a lot of fun having you here. No, oh, glad to be here. And to close it out, our toast of the nightcap.
it has to go to Colton Boomer. Night Nation, raise a glass to Colton Boomer and his golden leg. And uh, follow us on social media, and we'll see you next week uh, at home against SMU.